In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This past week, our church campus here was filled with children. It was vacation Bible school. They were crawling all over the place, headed to the bounce house and snacks and games and music. And here in the sanctuary where they learned and prayed the creed, the Our Father, and the morning and evening prayers of the small catechism. It was a wonderful time for all, including the volunteers. We all may have aged a few years this past week, but that's how it goes. And we would encourage you that if you have any desire or heart for this ministry to enjoy volunteering next year at our Vacation Bible School, there is very little that is as rewarding as seeing little kids light up to hear the truths and wonders of Scripture, to hear that their sins have been forgiven, washed away in the waters of baptism, and that they belong to God. If you'll indulge me, I want to share with you the theme of this last week. It will tie into Trinity Sunday, which is obviously today. Day one, we went all the way back to creation looking at how God uses water, creating by water and the Spirit. If you remember, all the way back, you have the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters, and then God speaks. And we can see, even in that image of the Spirit hovering over the waters, why it is that Jesus says in our Gospel text today to Nicodemus, you must be born again of water and Spirit. What Christ has come to do is to bring an entirely new creation and to create an entirely new human race in the image of his Son. So I bet you can already guess from day one what the theme of is how God uses water to create and to save. Diving in was the title of our theme. Day two had to do with the waters of the flood, how God used the flood waters to purge the earth of wickedness, but also to save Noah and seven others. Water saves. So St. Peter writes that baptism now saves you. And the church fathers, Luther included, see in the church a kind of holy ark in which we are being kept safe and secure by water. Day three, Red Sea, and you remember how God used the waters to drown the Egyptian army, showing how in the waters of baptism, he drowns and washes away our sins. Just as he used water to destroy the oppressor Pharaoh, he uses water now to destroy humanity's great oppressor who enslaves us all, Satan, thus delivering and saving his people through water once more. So he does the same for us. Day four was Jonah. And in Jonah, we saw first a type of Christ himself, a foreshadowing of this one who is to come. Jonah complains that when he was thrown overboard into the waters as he descended down into death, his head was wrapped in seaweed. And we see here an image of our Lord Jesus who as he descended into death, his head was wrapped in thorns. 
Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days before coming forth alive. And our Lord Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days before coming forth alive. But in Jonah 2, we see not only a type and foreshadowing of Christ, we see a type and foreshadowing of us, of sinners who hear God's voice and rebel and go the other way. But God saves Jonah through those waters and through the fish in those waters, just as he saves us through the waters of holy baptism and that great fish in those waters, our Lord Jesus Christ. All four of these days, these Old Testament texts and lessons, coalesced and combined into the fifth and final day, the baptism of our Lord Jesus. There again we see water and the Spirit. For as our Lord Jesus went into those waters, he did so not to have his sins washed away, but rather to be washed in our sins. God laid on him the iniquity of us all, that he might bear our sins and bear them to the cross and thus be our Savior, and cleansing those waters to be a lavish washing away of sins for us. As he came up out of those waters, the Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and the Father said from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. At the baptism of Jesus, we see a revelation of the Holy Trinity, And we see then why it is at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To be baptized is to be united with Christ. Indeed, in shorthand, it is to be in Christ. And thus, those words that the Father speaks to his Son, he speaks to you. You are my beloved Son. You are my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. And he anoints you with the Holy Spirit in those waters as well. This threefold name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, corresponds with the threefold praise that we heard in the Old Testament text from Isaiah 6 where the seraphim in heaven are crying out, Holy, holy, holy. We'll have opportunity to sing those words ourselves during Holy Communion and to hear the children of Vacation Bible School come and sing those very words to us as well at the end of this service. It's all quite fitting, isn't it, that God who is incomprehensible, unspeakably great, would also be simple, innocent, humble. That he would be at once the God of seraphim, these angelic beings with six wings whose very voices rock the heavenly temple of God. And yet he would also be the God of little children and nursing babes and infants in the womb from their mouth perfecting strength, from their mouth perfecting praise that shames this unbelieving world. As I said, today is Holy Trinity Sunday, and I simply want to draw out two further points for you from our text. 
the first an observation, and the second a question. The first observation is that if you took the earth, crumpled it up, and let it all pass away, if you took the sky, rolled it up like a scroll, let it pass away, if you took the whole cosmos and let it become nothing to where there was only God, you would have one God, and yet one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is family. Now, that doesn't mean we can reverse it and say family is God. We know also that God is love, and one of the great mistakes of our time is saying love is God. God is love, and God is family. And thus, when he creates the human race in his image, we see a reflection of this, a reflection of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in father, mother, and child. For the two become one flesh, and the three are a unity together. I promise not to get into a bunch of technical jargon today. It's always tempting to do as a pastor on Holy Trinity Sunday. But I will share with you one technical distinction that can be of the utmost importance and practical value for us as well. When we think of the Trinity, we see it biblically presented in two different ways, ontologically and economically. By ontology, we mean being. In just a few moments, we're going to confess together the Athanasian Creed, and we're going to assert that the three persons share an ontology, share a being, and share an equality. They are all equally God. They are all equally without beginning or end. They are all equally powerful, etc. But then in terms of the economic distinction, which, by the way, has nothing to do with money, it simply means ordering. We see an ordering between the persons of the Holy Trinity. The Father begets. The Son is begotten. The Holy Spirit proceeds. It is not the Son who sends the Father to earth to save us, but the Father who sends the Son. It is the Son who becomes incarnate, a true human being, not the Father or the Spirit. It is the Son alone who dies on the cross for us and for our salvation. The Son who rises, the Son who ascends into heaven. It is not the Holy Spirit who sends himself, but the Father and the Son who send the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who then directs us not to himself but to Christ. And it is Christ who in himself reveals to us the Father. In other words, you can see how all the persons, equally God, have an ordering within their relationship. And so this is the very reason why we see these things written into our families. Husband, wife, parents, and children, all equally human beings, all equally valuable and precious in God's sight, all equally redeemed by the blood of Christ. And yet there's an economy, an ordering, a difference. 
The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of his church. The wife submits to the husband as the church submits to Christ. Parents are in authority over children, and children are given to honor and love parents. In learning this vocational dance, we are instantiating the image of the Holy Trinity. Now, of course, on account of our fall into sin, our earthly families, our fleshly families, fall grossly short of this. They're broken. They're broken ultimately by death. And each one of us bears within himself a kind of anti-family, a kind of individualism which manifests in a selfishness, a profound selfishness that infects us and infects the whole world. God's answer to this is to give us new birth into a new family, his family, to be born of water and the Spirit, to be born into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to become members of his eternal family, a family that sin cannot break, nor sorrow, nor death. And as members of this family, he sets us free to live that out in our holy vocations, in our holy callings, in this great Trinitarian dance of creation. And that leads me to my second point, which is really a rather, really rather a question. Who then is worthy of this God? Or to put it in the language of the gospel text, who is worthy to see the kingdom of God? Who is worthy to enter the kingdom of God? If anyone was worthy, at least on paper, it would have been that fellow Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the strictest of the ascetics, never missing church, never missing daily prayer, in terms of externals, absolutely blameless. And you can see how he comes to the Lord Jesus in humility and in apparent goodness, we know, good teacher, that you have come from God, for no one does the things that you do apart from God. But remarkably, Jesus isn't having any of it. His response, frankly, is flat-out abrasive, if not rude. Almost interrupting Nicodemus, he says, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you are born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. As if to say, Nicodemus, you want to talk about God, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You are blind. And unless you are utterly born again, unless you become an entirely new creature in person, you will never see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, as if demonstrating the point that he is just flesh and can only think in a fleshly way, grasping for straws, says, is this a reincarnation deal then? Are we supposed to enter back into our mother's wombs and be born again? The great mulligan, second chance? Unless you are born of water 
and the Spirit, our Lord says. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. An entirely different birth must take place. For that which is born of woman is flesh, and flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit and water is spirit. And that which is spirit is spirit. And that is what you are. In the waters of holy baptism, God has made you into a new person. Nicodemus cannot grasp this. Jesus has other things to say. He talks about the mystery of the Spirit. In the same way an ancient person would not have any idea what the wind is doing, but hear its sound, not knowing where it comes from or where it goes. So also the fleshly man, as he looks at the spiritual man, Christ and his disciples, they don't have the foggiest, and yet they hear the sound, the words of the Holy Spirit. How can these things be, Nicodemus asks, continuing to be befuddled? And Jesus does indeed excoriate him a little. Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know such things? If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how on earth can I tell you heavenly things? He excoriates Nicodemus, but he does not condemn him. Rather, he points to Moses. This account of the Old Testament where Moses lifted up a serpent and all who were dying from the venom of poisonous serpents looked upon that bronze serpent and lived. And Jesus says, in just the same way, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And we see him lifted up on the cross. That all of us who have been poisoned by that Edenic serpent might look to Jesus upon the cross and live. For God so loved the world, our Lord says, that he sent his only begotten Son, that all who would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Who then is worthy of this eternal life? Who is worthy to see the kingdom and enter the kingdom? One correct answer would be no one. But another correct answer would be all who have been born of water and the Spirit. All who have been baptized and believe shall indeed be saved. Not by works, not by merit, not by earning, but by the free gift and grace of God in Christ Jesus, by the gift of baptism and new birth, by the gift of faith, you are saved. And this eternal life to which God has called you is even now to share in, to partake in, the life of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a life which extends to angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven, to magnificent seraphim with six wings and to little children, barely even formed in the womb, a life that extends also to you, now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Amen.